0: Hockey Canada is facing scrutiny for how it handled the investigation into and settling of an alleged sexual assault involving some members of the 2018 World Juniors team. Sponsors have pulled funding and executives have appeared before members of parliament to answer questions, but many are wondering what it will take to make systemic change to the organization that governs the game from the grassroots to the elite levels. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Post Media national sports writer Scott Stinson joins me to discuss how these allegations and others came to light what Hockey Canada has pledged to do going forward, and why that may not be enough. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, even Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Scott, before we dive into the controversy swirling around Hockey Canada, I just want to get a sense for listeners, for myself, um, what is Hockey Canada and what does it represent in this country?
1: So we have something in Canada called National Sports Organization. So it is a kind of an umbrella organization that takes in funding from a bunch of different sources and then administers the game and the sport across the country from a grassroots level, you know, kids, beer leagues, that kind of thing, right up to national team programs that would compete in things like the Olympics or the world championship. So the same thing is true of golf or soccer or tennis. People, listeners will be familiar of, you know, they all have basically the same name, tennis, Canada, golf, Canada, Canada, soccer as a slight change. And so, yeah, they are responsible for simply put administering the game in this country. And, Yeah, as I say, that goes right right down to to the lowest levels and up to the highest, really. So other than the professional leagues like the National Hockey League or even the American Hockey League, they basically have some degree of responsibility for, for the way the game is played in the country.
0: This spring, late this spring, came kind of shocking news that Hockey Canada had quietly settled a lawsuit that was brought against them relating to alleged sexual assault of a woman at an event in 2018. When did that story break? And and what do we know about that particular event?
1: In late May, TSN's request had reported that a lawsuit had been filed a month earlier by a young woman who was 24 now, but was 20 at the time. There was a gala event in London, Ontario. Members of the 2018 World Junior Team were there. She says she met one of them in a bar in London and willingly went back to his hotel room but she also says that she was quite intoxicated and was plied with drinks and at some point over the course of the evening several other players came into the room and there were acts of sexual assault that took place without her consent. So that's what she alleged in this lawsuit, which was filed just in April of this year in the London courthouse, and Hockey Canada basically settled with her for an undisclosed amount in a matter of weeks, and before TSN even had a chance to publish the story about the existence of the lawsuit. So it was settled quickly, and by the time TSN disclosed the story to the general public, it had already been there; had already been an exchange of money having taken place. So that's basically the gist of it. And uh, there's been some development since, but that is the thrust of the story at the root of the whole thing.
0: What happened in the immediate aftermath of this reporting and and the settlement? As I understand, Hockey Canada lost some sponsors. They were called before Parliament previously. What happened in the immediate couple of weeks after the story broke?
1: So basically because of it, they had their funding frozen by the government and were asked to to testify at the standing committee before Canadian Heritage in Ottawa to explain themselves. And at the same time that sort of was taking place, corporate sponsors were severing their relationship. Actually, I should say putting on pause their relationship. They were all one after the other. And these are big corporate sponsors. Your Canadian Tires, your SO, your Tim Hortons, they were all saying some form of we are not going to give any money to this organization until we are comfortable that they are making the changes necessary to ensure a safe environment and so on and so forth. It's sort of the stuff that you would expect them to say. I'm not going to get into the details Mm -hmm. but the rather boilerplate, this is bad, we don't want to be associated with it until they sort themselves out. So that all happened pretty soon after the initial report in May, I would say. And then there's been some further revelations, which is that the money that was used to settle this lawsuit came from a fund that they had set aside within Hockey Canada's budget to basically deal with things outside of the normal insurance process. So essentially payouts for things like Injury claims and, as it turns out, sexual assault claims and things that they didn't necessarily want to go through the insurance process to have covered, they had this money set aside that they be able to access in the event of these unusual events. So it's not the only thing this fund was for, it did other things, but it did allow them to basically pay out payments kind of not off the books, but in a part of the books that would have less public scrutiny and one of the more... Controversial aspects of it was that this one of the sources of revenue for this fund was from grassers registration fees, which people were shocked to learn that their money that they might have spent to sign up their kid to play hockey at, you know, midget or Adam or whatever level was ultimately mm-hmm. a portion of which ultimately went to settle a lawsuit. So that part was controversial as well.
0: So we have reports of this lawsuit. We have reports of the settlement the fees. Hockey Canada officials are called before Parliament, and I can imagine from Hockey Canada's perspective, they probably felt, okay, we've addressed this, or we feel like we've addressed this, but the story just doesn't seem to want to go away. What else have we learned about the goings-on at Hockey Canada in the intervening weeks between June and late July?
1: To me, I think the detail that is really puzzling, and that I get to hear any rational explanation for is that so they get this lawsuit and they say they settled it quickly because they didn't want to put the complainant through the process of you know legal scrutiny where every claim in a statement has to be assessed and then the defense has the opportunity to say well were you drinking and what's your behavior like and have you done this kind of thing before you know all the things we know can happen in claims of sexual assault so they said They wanted to pay this off quickly so that she was spared that trouble. But the strangest part about it is that they chose to settle it through these, basically, without going through insurance, by liquidating some assets out of this fund and cutting the young woman a check. And without giving the players who who weren't identified in the lawsuit, uh, but without giving, giving them an opportunity to be involved at all. They basically settled it on their behalf and said, okay, we've taken care of this. This week on, on Parliament Hill, when the hearings, they've been actually been twice before the Heritage Committee. They went back this week in, in late July. One of the lines of questions from one of the MPs was basically like, nobody does this. <laughs> when, when you get sued, as if an organization gets sued, they generally speaking, at least push back a little. They take issue with some of the veracity of the claims or they test them. I shouldn't say they necessarily accuse the statement of claim of being untrue, but they subject it to some sort of scrutiny. And they have an insurance company, which has lawyers who that's what they're for. I mean, you pay insurance so that you have access to them in times like this. So it's all very strange that they chose to handle it this way both with the haste in which they sought to settle it and the the manner in which they did, which is kind of do it through this side door and to not allow the players to have any ability to respond. So now you have a situation where if and when the players are identified, and I imagine they will be, they've already had it settled on their behalf. So they can say, well, the way the claims were made is not the way I thought it went down. I, I dispute the veracity of the allegations and so on and so forth, but there's already been a payment. So it, at the very least, it's going to make it very awkward for the young men who, or at least who are young men at the time, to give their sides of the story. So that is the part of the story that to this day seems unexplained to me.
0: And when it comes to the investigation into these allegations, it appears that even that on the part of Hockey Canada seems to be lacking. There are reports that a number of the players who were allegedly involved in this were not compelled to take part in the investigation. The investigation was shut down by hockey Canada. It's since been reopened. The The police investigation into it didn't go anywhere. That has since been reopened. What can you tell us about accusations that perhaps hockey Canada didn't do its due diligence in trying to get to the bottom of this?
1: Yeah. I'm glad you brought this part up because it is a big part of the story, Dave. So When they initially found out about these uh, allegations in 2018, they did hire an outside law firm to conduct an investigation uh, at the same time that they contacted London Police Service and and told them about the allegations. So they were conducting their own investigation or a third-party, quote-unquote, third-party investigation. The investigator, who is a lawyer, told the committee this week that she was able to interview 10 of the 19 players on the team. The complainant to not want to participate, which is not unusual in sexual assault allegations. It is not uncommon for women to not want to really relive it, to be subject to scrutiny. It just it happens, unfortunately. So she, she at that time, did not want to participate. At which time, the, the lawyer, the investigator, told Hockey Canada that she didn't think that it could force the other players to submit to interviews with her until she had a statement from the alleged victim. Basically her argument was that without hearing from the alleged victim about what went on in that room, there wasn't value in getting the alleged participants to give their stories. And even that there might've been some due process violated if they were forced to answer to vague questions as opposed to specific questions about what might've happened. So so she said that they didn't want to pursue it, the investigation any further at that point, until they could get a statement from the young woman. Then that was pretty much the end of it. She also did not participate with the police investigation, so it ended up shutting down without any charges brought forward. And then nothing really happened. And and that's the part of the story that, speaking about the other part that you know remains unanswered, is why Hockey Canada felt at that time that just letting it go was a suitable course of action. It's one thing for the police to say, well, we can't really do anything further because we don't have a statement from the alleged victim. We don't have enough details and we can't really go forward. I would say that's not unusual in cases of sexual assault for the police to decide they can't really prosecute or they can't really lay charges with the cooperative witness. But Hockey Canada isn't under that kind of legal framework and they could have forced players to say look we need you to talk to our investigator these are teenage players at the time or 20 years old at the most who obviously would have had some leverage or been subject to some leverage from hockey Canada having just played for the world junior team so I feel like that's the part that they haven't really explained is why they didn't take some action to say you know these allegations sound extremely serious and we need to find out if people who we were responsible for at this event did something very wrong, and if so, we need to do something about it. So that's basically where we were. They let it go, uh, and, it, and honestly, we would have learned nothing about this had she not, four years later, decided to file a statement of claim.
0: We'll be right back. This isn't the only allegation that we've had against Hockey Canada. There has been reports of another group sexual assault this time at the World Juniors, correct? Yes,
1: dating to the 2003 event in Halifax.
0: And what do we know about that event, whether Hockey Canada knew about it at the time, and where the police investigation is at with that?
1: My understanding of that, and there are parts of it I'm sure about, which is that the police are now investigating and that hockey canada says they didn't learn about the details of the alleged assault until requested again from tsn contacted them last week mid july to mm-hmm. let them know that there had been these allegations about this taking place 19 years earlier and i'm not sure if there was ever any investigation historically like whether anything happened whether it was known to anyone in 2003 i don't think so i hockey canada's position is that they didn't know anything they hadn't heard anything about this in 2003 and it was only very recently that they were made aware of it they did say in ottawa yesterday that they had heard a couple of weeks ago a rumor that something might have happened in 2003 and so i you know i don't Mm -hmm. know what that means but apparently there was some talk floating around amongst a a staff member that that there might be something coming down about something in 2003. But they insist that it wasn't until they heard from TSN last week that they understood the full details of the allegations.
0: Now, there have been calls for Hockey Canada to take serious action, that there obviously is a culture here that allows for abuse to happen. And this has gone on 2003 allegations at the World Juniors, obviously, you know, former coaches like Graham James have infiltrated the sport and abused players. There's been other allegations of abuse of players. has Hockey Canada said that they're going to do in the wake of this? And will any officials in this resign their post or lose their job?
1: I'll answer the second question first. At this point, they are seemingly very reluctant to have anyone step down. Scott Smith, he's the current uh, president and CEO, took over for the recently retired Tom Rennie in that role. And the MPs on the Heritage Committee, kind of one after the other, suggested that there should be change at the top of Hockey Canada and we need new people in charge and how could the people who let this happen be the ones to lead the change and so on and so forth. And he basically kept saying, I think I'm best positioned to be the one to bring hockey Canada into a new era. So I don't think he's quitting unless he is forced, which he might well be all it takes is enough sponsors to tell the board of directors that they think he needs to be gone and he'll probably be gone. Mm -hmm. But as of now, he doesn't really seem to want to. And then the question of what they're doing there's the specific things like reopening the investigation, compelling the players who didn't participate in their internal investigation in 2018 to participate now. Otherwise, they face lifetime bans from anything to do with Hockey Canada. Although, whether that means anything to them is, you know, only really matters to the players. If they are if they don't anticipate playing in a world championships or a world uh, or the Olympics anytime soon, then not. Being part of Hockey Canada events is not necessarily a big deal for a player. And then they have a, it's a lame phrase, but it's an action plan to make a bunch of changes. Better reporting structures about things like sexual assault and mistreatment. Better education. They refer to it as breaking the code of silence which is, a, is sort of an allusion to the idea that if something bad happened amongst one of its players, that it would be seen as bad teammate behavior to tell anyone about it. Dealing with issues like toxic masculinity, uh, consent, alcohol abuse, you know, especially in parties and social settings. So it's really been an acknowledgement that it is a, cultural problem within hockey and in certain levels of hockey. I mean, I don't obviously mean to say your kids peewee team is a problem, but there have been enough issues and enough problems that they are saying, we acknowledge that there is a structural cultural issue here and we need to put new structures in place to try to make sure this stuff doesn't happen. The other question is whether the junior hockey system as a whole needs to be broadly reformed. And I'm not sure that that is going to happen, even though there's an argument to be made that the way the system is set up uh, contributes to some of the
0: problems we've seen. We have several leagues under one umbrella that has, you know, kids from not just across Canada, but they bring in international players as well. But instead of playing in their communities, they go to these far flung provinces and play in small communities and, you know, are isolated from their original support network and they have to trust the people that they're with. And we've seen instances where that trust has been broken. Is there a way to reform that system? So maybe the two Alberta WHL teams have to have Alberta players and the Saskatchewan WHL teams have to have Saskatchewan players and so on and so forth. Is that something that would be considered? So you're not taking these kids as far out of their hometown and as far away from their family to potentially prevent some of that?
1: I think these kind of discussions should be on the table. I think the fact that we have a system where players as young as 15 and 16 are forced to leave their homes to go play in some small town elsewhere in the province or even in a neighboring province to you know theoretically be also attending high school and learning that part of your education while still training and playing and you know going on buses from town to town to play the idea that that is the best way to develop, to not only let young players play, but to develop elite talent seems extremely outdated to me. I mean, there's really two things going on and, and it is, you know, what is the percentage of those players who are actually going to go to an elite level in the game? It's really small, obviously, like, you know, maybe one player per team, that's probably generous. So should there maybe be a system where those players who are by the age of 15 or 16 really showing themselves to be much better than everybody else, is there a way to train them, to develop them in some other fashion while still allowing for the possibility that as somebody hits a growth spurt when they get to be 17 or 18, maybe they suddenly do become NHL caliber. So I think there would be a way to have a junior league that exists without all the requirements of moving people around and a draft and all those things and to potentially have a development avenue for the best of the best of the best that doesn't even necessarily feed into that. Or maybe if it does, they just play on the local team and that's how it is. But you have this weird thing where the team or the CHL, you know, functions almost as a professional league with a draft and with trades and with no sort of geographic anchoring in terms of where the players play But it's not a professional league, you know. They they're just teenagers, and they don't even get paid. They get their, their compensation is they get the tuition paid for if they don't leave and if they behave properly. You know, like that's the other part of it is they don't necessarily get access to the free tuition that they're supposed to get if they get cut, for example, or if they don't like their team and they end up deciding they don't want to play, you know, in that environment anymore. So it is a system that, to me. It's, it's always been the way it's been done in Canada, but it doesn't seem to me like it's the only way it could be done.
0: Lastly, these discussions are all taking place as Canada is set to host a redo of this past winter's World Junior Championship. The event I don't imagine is going to be cancelled. It's a double IHF event. It's not necessarily a Hockey Canada event, but are there concerns about sponsorship for the event, ticket sales, and even Team Canada saying we're not going to play? Like, could Hockey Canada pull its team out?
1: I don't think so, Dave. I mean, partly because they're already in the process of, you know, they're doing the red and white games and they've got essentially a selection camp happening, but it is fascinating to see how little they are talking about it in the way that they normally do. I remember a few years ago when the World Juniors were held in Toronto and Montreal and just the training camp was a big deal. You know, there was a, a press conference in Calgary to announce the players that had been invited to the selection camp and the selection camp had a title sponsor. You know, it was the SportCheck selection camp as I recall. Apologies if it wasn't sports check, but <laughs> it was such a big deal that they were gonna wanted to mention, you know, the the corporate involvement, even just to whittle the roster down from forty-two players to twenty-five or whatever the actual numbers were. But now that is all sort of happening without any fanfare, without any media coverage, without Hockey Canada even talking about it. Because I think they realized quite obviously that now is not really the time to talk about the World Juniors when you have all this bad PR stuff happening. So, look, I think the tournament's going to happen. I think it'll, as you say, it's not even a Hockey Canada event, even though they're sort of like the unofficial co-sponsor of all World Junior things because it's become such a big deal in this country. But mm-hmm. I think it'll take place. I think Canada's team will enter. I just think it's going to be weird from a visibility and a media standpoint because it'll be done with very little promotion and TSN will air the games. But there's usually a whole celebratory atmosphere around the thing, especially when it's in its traditional boxing day on to New Year's part in the calendar. And I think all of that's going to be missing this time around and it'll just be it'll just be a hockey tournament and there's probably an argument to be made that that's that's what the world junior championship should always be just like not quite the big deal that we have come to view it in this country it'll be a strange one for sure
0: well i know we'll be following the story in the coming days we'll be watching to see any developments on that front scott thanks for your time
1: thanks dave as always
0: Ten Three is produced by sean knox theme music by bryce hall Thanks to my guest Scott Stinson, more from him at NationalPost.com. I'm Dave Brekenridge, thanks for listening.